Well, technical difficulties did not want us to play the song. I had a song picked out called Hey Jonah by the Triumphant Quartet. And the, uh, the gist of the song, the uh, chorus was like, Jonah learned you ought to listen to the Lord. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of going to be what, what the gist of this is. We ought to learn to listen to the Lord, but also not just that, but how powerful He is, how much outrageous grace that He has and love for everybody. And uh, as you're turning to Jonah chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be today in Jonah 1, and, and, and get this, we're going to cover a whole chapter. <laughs> that's almost unheard of for me. But we're going to try to cover a whole chapter today. But as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little something I heard this week. Since my wife no longer works at Walmart, I can say this. Um, there, was a, there was a blonde gal like my wife. She was out trimming the hedges. And that hedge trimmer cut off the cat's tail. She was freaking out. A neighbor came over and said, can I help? She just said, go find the cat. I've got the tail. So they went, they, they finally found the cat, chased it all around. You know, and you can imagine if you just got your tail cut off, you're not really wanting to be caught. So they finally caught that, and he said, where are we going? What, what veterinary hospital? And she said, no, I want to go to Walmart. And he looked at her and said, why are you going to Walmart for? He said, well, duh, it's just the largest retailer in the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stick to the day job. <laughs> uh, greetings. Isn't this a beautiful Lord's Day today, though? I mean, hasn't the Lord just blessed us with a beautiful morning and a beautiful day? Let's go to Him just a moment of prayer to prepare our hearts and minds for this great story. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty and everything and for your son. And, and Father, as we uncover your word here today, we pray that our hearts and minds are prepared to receive it, that we'll be challenged by it, and that it will motivate us, Father, to serve and glorify you in not only our lives and the lives of our friends and families, but in this community. And Father, we praise you and we thank you for what you're about to do through imperfect vessels like us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jonah chapter 1. I want to do a little uh, dialogue for a second. I want to do word association. Give me the first thing that pops into your mind when I say Jonah. Well, okay. That is what I figured. Jonah, well, what's the second one? What word or sentence would you use from what you know that would describe the book of Jonah? That's a little tougher, isn't it? Trust in the Lord. Huh? Obedience. Yeah, that's a big one. Okay, third question. Why do you think he ended up in the whale's belly or the great fish as, as, as to be completely accurate? Huh? Yeah. He, he, he knows the Lord, but he didn't obey. And so he ends up in the belly. That's perfect. The theme 
from our last few weeks has been what? Evangelism. Taking that message out. Jesus stopping with the man who was born blind. We saw that Paul was told, no, don't go there yet. They're not ready. You're going to go on over to Macedonia. There's a call coming out from there. This week, we're going to see that the book of Jonah is about evangelism as well. And he takes it a step further. Not only to those that we see that are in need. Not only to those who are calling for us that we desire to go to. This week we go a step further. He wants us to go to people we can't stand. He wants us to go to people that you actually just want to have nothing to do with them. They are the most evil, the most vile, the most wicked The person that you think is rotten and you can't stand and you wouldn't want to go around. That's who God is saying, you know what? They're no different than what you are. They're my creation. And I want you to take the message to them. And that is what the book of Jonah is going to be about. Taking that message, the commission of Christ to go ye into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature. That we must go and take that message to them. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And that message has to go to them. Because Jesus himself said you must be born again or you shall not see the kingdom of God. He said he that believeth in the Son hath life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him because there is no other name given whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus is the dividing line for eternity, folks, on which side we're going to be on. And that message must go out. We must take that to them. Therefore, Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord then, we persuade men. We go and we do just that. And that's what Jonah's about. And it's about taking it to an enemy that you can't stand, but we need to tell him. And it's about an outrageous God. It's about an outrageous God that loves everyone and is long-suffering and is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that word perish is going to be a theme throughout this book too. Because it's going to be used several times. We're going to see it a couple times in this chapter. Now, where God has told him to go is Nineveh. It's the the nation of Assyria and their capital at the time. And let me give you a little example of why Jonah didn't want to go. Here's a smidgen of true history for you. So that we can understand not only the magnitude of God's grace and love and forbearance but also why Jonah went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. As you can see up here, we got some slides that show archaeological digs from the time. These were in the king's palace. It portrays the history of battles. That was what they were proud of. The Assyrians began a long time ago. If, if Mr. Peabody and Sherman had to set the Wayback Machine... It would have to go all the way back to about 3,500 years ago for the Assyrian nation. That's a long time. Our nation's a little over 200 years. 3,500 years. You'd have to go way back. Actually, to Nimrod, 
the Tower of Babel and that land is where we're talking about. It was the center of evil. It's the center of where Jerusalem is God's place and this place is Satan's and thus always the battle going on. Now, I want to give you a quote from one of the tablets that was dug up. This is a quote that's in the historical records. Right now it's in Britain's library, I believe. But it was from the king's palace giving what they did at the battle. Here's just one battle, okay? Direct quote. I built a pillar over the city after we had captured it. And I flayed or skinned alive all the chiefs who had revolted. And I covered that pillar with their skins. Some I walled up within the pillar. Some I impaled upon stakes, their bodies. Others I bound to the stakes round about the pillar. I cut off their limbs, their arms, their legs, their heads of the officers, of the royal ones who had rebelled against us. Many captives from among them I burned with fire, and many I took as living captives, and from some... I just cut off the noses, ears, and fingers of many. I put out their eyes. I made one pillar of those who were yet alive and put them on it, and another one of just the heads, and I bound the heads to tree trunks around the city, and the young men and maidens I burned with fire. End quote from a king that was back about... 2,700 years ago. That is a direct quote. That is what the Assyrians was. Let me tell you what their greatest sport was when they came into a city. The men, after the battle, would take and sharpen their knives. And their sport was, who could fillet the person the longest before they died? And whoever went the furthest won the game. How do you like that for sport? That is the demeanor of the Assyrian nation. That is the place where God's saying, go and take my message to them. They were ruthless. They were evil. And you know why they did it? Because they really wanted to be able to go in and have you to surrender without a fight. Without a shot being fired, without anything going on. When you don't, we devastate you so much and do so many horrible things so that our reputation extends throughout the entire world so that when we do come knocking at your door, you don't resist. You say, we will voluntarily give ourselves over to you. Don't harm our people and we will serve you and pay you tribute. That is their goal. But if you didn't, They came after you. Now, Assyrian king Sennacherib displays that attitude in the holy word of God. In fact, the scripture is going to tell us about what he is going to say to them and taunt Israel. Well, it's actually Judah with. The Assyrians did not at one point lose a battle for over 250 years. I get that. For over 250 years, Sennacherib's father and grandfathers, these people have not lost a battle. That's how powerful this military machine is. And look 
what he says to the folks at Judah in Second Chronicles 32, beginning in verse 10. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem while we have you under siege? Is not your king Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over so that you will just die of hunger and thirst? And he's telling you, Our God, the Lord, will deliver us from the hand of the king Assyria. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away the high places and altars in Judah and Jerusalem? You shall worship one altar and on it burn incense, he said. Do you know what I and my fathers have done to the nations and whose lands we've went into? Were the gods of all of these nations able to stop us and deliver them from the, our hand? No. Who was there among all the gods of all of the nations which my fathers utterly destroyed? Who of the gods of those nations could help and deliver the people out of my hand so that you would think that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you. Do not believe him, for there is no God of any nation or kingdom that's able to deliver the people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers, much less than how will your God be able to deliver you from my hand. We're not studying this at that time, but God delivered them overnight and one night from his hand. Our God did. None of the other ones did. But you can see the point that they were so evil, they were so vicious, but they were so powerful that their reputation spread before them and all they had to do was say, look at what we've done in other places. If you do not submit, you will end up that way and there's no one and no God who will be able to deliver you from our hand. But he was wrong. Our God was able. And with that in mind, now we begin to see why Jonah didn't want to go, don't we? They're no good. Jonah wanted it to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted them to fry and to get what they deserved. He did not want to take the message there. Ah, but this book puts on display the grace of God to those who are just like the Assyrians. So if you're there with me, without further ado, we've set the stage for Jonah chapter 1 and what's really going on. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And when the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the load, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship. He laid down, and he fell sound asleep. So the captain approached him, 
And he said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and said to him, how could you do this? This man... The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea would become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said, Just pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sea will become calm, and I know that on account of me the storm has come upon you. However, the men desperately tried to row and return to land, but they could not, for the sea became even more stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray to you, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, And immediately the sea stopped its raging, and the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed, or prepared, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. Is chapter 1 not just amazing in itself? This is one of the most... Beloved Sunday school lessons that we had. You know, we've got uh, Noah and the ark and Jonah and the, and the whale, the great fish. We got those as our Sunday school lessons that we grow up with. But as Paul Harvey used to say, now for the rest of the story. Because you've heard the Sunday school version. Now we're going to get the adult version of what was really going on here. This entire book is about the grace of God and it's displayed in verse 1 right there for us. I want you to read that with me again, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Isn't that marvelous? You say, what's so marvelous about that, I know. Okay, let's dig in. Let's have some fun with this. The word Jonah, his name. You know what that is in the original language? I only do this whenever it really brings a point. It's Yonah. And Yonah means a dove. Okay? So where is the first mention of Yonah in the scriptures? And that's in Genesis chapter 8. Noah is on the ark. And the flood has came. It's subsiding. And he opens up a window to the ark. And he takes a Yonah the scripture says, and lets it loose. 
And it says that there was nowhere to be found of dry land for the sole of the foot of the dove to land. And so it came back without anything. Seven days later, Noah opens up the window and lets Yonah out again. And it says this time it returns with a freshly picked olive leaf in its mouth. Guess what? Even to today is the symbol of peace throughout the world. A dove and an olive branch. When somebody from a stronger country or nation is putting you on notice that they're going to come, they offer you a peace treaty. And they give you what? We're offering you an olive branch, aren't we? God is saying to Nineveh, my dove, Yonah, is coming. And it says he's the son of Amittai. There's a reason, God. I, I am so amazed whenever I look at the word of God and I start breaking these things down and he starts revealing these clever tongue-in-cheek just how funny he really is on giving us a serious lesson. He says, I am going to send Yonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Amittai means my truth. So I am sending the dove of peace with my word of truth to you, saying, your wickedness, verse 2, has come up before me. In other words, you stink. When it says something comes up before the face of the Lord, that means the stench of it now has came up so bad that there's no good smell that he's smelling. He smells the stench of these people that's doing all of the atrocities that I just told you about. But there's some positive vibes going on. And so he's going to offer them an olive branch of peace from my word of truth. If you will accept the conditions of peace that I give to you, then I am not going to destroy you. And that's what verse 1 says all throughout there. So now, the word of the Lord came by my dove through Amittai and tell him I'm sending this word of truth to you. It's going to be the gospel of peace. What lit upon our Savior On the Jordan River when John baptized him. The dove. It was God's peace. The dove brought back the olive branch from the flood. Because God's justice was done. And peace was now. Behold the Lamb of God. Which is going to take away the sin of the world. And the one that my spirit as a dove lights upon. Will be the symbol of that. Here is coming the gospel of peace to the nation of Nineveh. Will you accept my gospel of peace? Let's pause for a moment though. Because Jonah, when he heard this, did exactly what any good servant of God would do, didn't he? He agreed to go. We're going to find in chapter 2 and chapter 4 that he had made a vow and he told God he was going to go. But then he did what every good servant would do after that. He turned around and went the other way. Nineveh was east. He went west to Tarshish. The exact opposite. And before we get on to him, 
I had to sit and look at that for a moment and examine my life. You guys might want to examine your life for a minute. How many times before I get on Jonah could I say, you know what, Lord? I knew what you told me to do too. I knew better. I've even prayed before saying I've known better, forgive me. And when the emotion of the moment's over, it's not too long before I'm caught right back up in it, aren't I? And I don't do what I told him I would do. And I walk the other way. So I can't get on Jonah too much because I do the same things in my life. He didn't want to go that way. He thought he knew better. Lord, you can't have that much grace and that much compassion and that much care for somebody. I'm not going to take them. They don't deserve that. He might have been afraid. I would have. You're telling me to go to this city where they do that and you're telling me one person to stand in front of them and say, repent, stop, or my God's going to destroy you? That's a little intimidating. But we'll find out in chapter 3 that And four, that he really said too, I knew that you were a God of grace and this would happen and you wouldn't fry them. But anyway, I can't get on him because I do the same things that Jonah's done. So he went to the exact opposite way. The scripture there says, from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get away from the Lord and what he told him to do. How many times have we done that in our life? You just don't feel right about things. You're walking my path and what I decide. And so I want to walk the other way. And I want to get away from the presence that's convicting me of things in my life. And so he goes and he gets on this boat. And he gets to a faraway place, he thinks, where God ain't going to find him. And here's takeaway number two that I found. You know what? No matter how far I went, how far I go, where I run to, what I hide under, God's still there. And that voice still comes within my head, doesn't it? And sometimes he even sends a storm in my life to kind of remind me of this. And that's where we're coming to now. So he goes and he gets on this ship. He pays his fare to go the exact opposite way. And he climbs into the front of the ship and he falls fast asleep. He gets there. Then verse 4 says, the Lord hurled, I like that action word, can you imagine that? The Lord hurled a great storm upon the Mediterranean and it started making the ship like it was going to break apart and all of the sailors are, these are skilled men, this is their job and their vocation and now they're scared. This is a great storm that just comes up that the Lord is hurling to get attention to And the sailors are afraid and they all cried to their God and they threw their goods off the ship to lighten the ship so that it would float better and not get destroyed. And point of contact. Sometimes the things that I do in my life and when I'm running away from those things and I'm trying to get away from God, I think it only affects me. I'm going to climb down in the bottom of the ship by myself and go to sleep and separate myself from the world. But everybody else that was on the ship, and that ship is like our life. Everyone else that is kind of in your life is going through that sea with you in some form or fashion. And they're trying to help you out of these situations. 
they were sacrificing things. They were throwing goods off, monetary things that was paying for this ship to go where it was going. But they were willing to sacrifice some of these things to keep themselves and you afloat. So when I am in the bow of the ship trying to sleep and hide, know that I am still affecting many people in my life that I don't think that it's really affecting. So now the sailors, they're looking around. Where is this Yonah? Where is he at? And the captain, it says, himself goes down and he finds Jonah. And he says, how can you be oblivious to what's going on? He wakes him up. He says, get up, start praying to your God. Maybe your God will have concern and compassion upon us and keep us from sinking. Get up. You know why Jonah's in the middle of the boat? And you know why he doesn't want to get up when the guy tells him? I've been there before. It's because when you're running away from God, you're not in a very good relationship with him, are you? And you don't want to be talking to God. That's why I'm where I'm at. And you don't want anyone else to tell you that you ought to listen to what God's trying to tell you, do you? You don't want to hear none of that. That's why I am hiding, Captain. No, get up. Get your head on straight. This storm is raging around us. Go to your God and see that He won't take care of the situation for you like you know that He can. So, they cast lots because He's not really pulling His weight here. And the lots fall down to Jonah. And He said, yes, that is correct. It is because of me that the storm is going on and you guys are about ready to sink. I am been running away from God but he tells him this. He says, I, am, I serve the God of heaven, Jehovah Elohe, that created the heavens and the earth. You know what the sailors say to him after that? How could you keep running? Think of this. If you serve a God of the heaven and the earth that's that powerful, and you see what's going on, Why are you still trying to butt heads with him? Why are you still running away? How could you do that to the one who is the most powerful and is already there ahead of you? Why are you keeping playing that game? They could even see. Why are you even thinking of doing this? Then it says this, verse 13. Instead of throwing him in the sea, because they said, what must we do? And he said, throw me in the sea. They didn't want to do that. They had compassion and care for him and themselves. And it says they were lightening the load and throwing all of their things in the sea. And then they tried to row desperately for land, verse 13 says. They tried to save Jonah, but you can't row against God, can you? The harder they rode, it says, the scripture says, the stormier it gets. You don't roll against him. It's going to just keep getting stormier if you do. And at this point, I thought of something else. Jonah has no care and compassion for those Ninevites. He wants them lost. He's going to run the other way. He's a man of God. An ambassador for God. He's supposed to set an example to the folks around about him in the world. 
These men on the boat who are pagans and worship the small G gods, not the God of heaven, they have more compassion for a soul than he, a man of God, is having for souls. They are lightening the load. They are throwing away their bounty. They are rowing desperately. They are going through the storm with him to try to help save him. He said, throw me overboard, and they have enough compassion that they don't want to do that. They try everything they can. Let us not, as ambassadors for Christ, within this local body of Christ in this community, let it not be seen or said that other folks have more care about others and the lost than we do. We set the example. We are the people of God and His ambassadors. We should be the ones that has the care and compassion and taking care of others. These men are putting Jonah to shame and they are pagans. Now, he doesn't come to the Lord yet. That's going to be the next chapter. But they are coming to the Lord seeing that he, his God made heaven and earth. And his God is making this storm. And the harder we pray and row against it, the stormier it gets. His God must be pretty powerful. So look at verse 14. God is using all of this mess to work something for good. They're turning to God. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? For those who believe in me and trust in me, I can work all things together for good in your life. He's working this storm for their good. Look, O Lord... Do not let us perish. There's that word again. On account of this man's life. He is refusing you, but we aren't now, basically, is what they're saying. We're, we're beginning to trust in you, the God Almighty that created the heavens and the earth, that, that he witnessed about, but he's not ready to change and follow you. We are. We see how strong you are. So don't allow, as we cast him over, we think we're doing your will, like he said, So don't put innocent blood upon us as we cast him over the side of this boat. And they pick up Jonah and they throw him over the side of the boat. And then it says that they began to worship God. They fell down and they offered sacrifice and they praised him. And they made vows to him that like we will now serve you forever because we know that you are the living God. And then we read in the last verse up there. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three full days and three nights. And that brings us another takeaway of chapter 1. Notice how God's creation that's kind of on a lower end. Like a great fish or a whale. Later on we're going to find a plant and a worm. We are created in the image of God. We have reasoning power. We have the ability to think and to do. But God's creatures that we think are less intelligent do His bidding almost automatically when He asks them to do it. Even though they're not as smart as we are, they know enough to do what He tells them to do. We oftentimes think, I know a better route. I desire a different thing, so I'm going to do it my way. Oh, how much like Jonah we are. So he gets thrown over the boat. 
and down the side. And you know what? That's where we're going to leave him for this week. We're going to leave him there for a week in the belly of the whale so that Jonah and you and I can think about chapter 1 and about everything that we're learning right now about evangelism, about running from God, about desiring to do my own way and not his way. We learn about the outrageous grace of God, his power, his might, his ability to get us to see things. And all of this, we're going to leave him there for that week. You know, I was going to begin with the song that's talked about, Jonah learned you ought to listen to the Lord. Think about that this week as we go through and the worship team comes on up and uh, prepares to close us out. God offers his Yonah, his gospel of peace, the olive branch to every one of us. Good, bad, indifferent, the offer is there for us to accept a new way of life. It says that he forgives everyone who truly asks for forgiveness. Everyone. It says, you confess to me your fault and I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and put you in fellowship with me and I will walk with you. And what did, did the psalmist David say? About that, whenever we're in fellowship and we walk with him, says, Yea, and now he will take me and he will lead me through the land of righteousness for his name's sake and along his path. And he'll prepare tables before me in the presence of my enemies. He, nothing's going to happen to Jonah when he goes to Nineveh. The Lord's already prepared that table for him and got it ready. You know, the other folks said on the ship, How? Could you go against God? How could you refuse what he says? That question is still the question for today. If you're here and you've been butting heads with God, you know who he is. You know how powerful he is, but you know how much he loves you and how much grace. And he's offering an olive branch to you every day, every moment. All you got to do is go to him in prayer and make it right with him. So won't you do that? If you're here and you're on that stormy Mediterranean and the Lord's been hurling winds and storms of life out at you, instead of saying, throw me over the boat, don't get that far. Don't go to the belly of the well for a while. Go ahead. Once he's there next week, we're going to see that he changes his mind and he commits to God. And he says, God, evidently you got a plan for me. I'm in the belly of a well. I've been here for three days. Nothing's happened to me. I'm still alive. So evidently you got a plan for me. And I'm going to see home again. So have thine own way Lord. So won't that be you today? Stop running. Stop hiding. God loves you. His outrageous grace is going to the people. That we just read their atrocities. How much more does he love you. And wants to forgive you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the great example that you put forth in your word of just how outrageous you are and how clever you are. And your love for us pursues us and chases us all the way from Jerusalem to Joppa to the Mediterranean to the belly of a well. Your grace pursues us. Father, may we accept that grace. May we accept your olive branch. May we accept your son Jesus and believe in him. And may we confess our faults 
all the time to you and walk in fellowship with you and you cleanse us and we have that relationship because you are a God who wants a relationship with his people. And we thank you for this word that we, you've gave us today. In Jesus' name, amen.